Well, I would invite you to uh, take out your Bibles. We're in, in uh, the Gospel of John today, John chapter 1. We're in week three of our Advent series already, More and Less Christmas. And uh, the first week of Advent, we talked, uh, our word kind of for the day was uh, look, look, look around, look for God's activity in the world uh, around us. Uh, week two, our, our word for the day was uh, listen, listen for uh, the whisper of God, look for ways, listen specifically um, for how God may be uh, speaking to you trying to get your attention, whether it be through a friend or uh, the word or music or the worship of the church. So we've looked and, and we have listened. And, and, and today the word is light. We want to be light. We want to light more uh, and tangle less. And, and I would invite you to stand with me as we uh, read our passage for today. It's from the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1. And I know it's listed in the bulletin as 6 through 18, but I, I changed that. Um, I want to read specifically the parts uh, about um, the guy that we know and refer to as John the Baptist. Uh, although in the Gospel of John, he's not so much John the Baptist, he would be more referred to as John the Witness. Uh, the, the Greek word for testify or witness is, is martyria. And 14 different times that word is associated specifically uh, with the character known as John. And so the passage that we're going to read, I'm going to read verses 6 through 8, and then jump down and, and read verses 19 to 28. And John, uh, being the preparer of the way for Jesus, he, he's, kind of, he's kind of an interruption in the story, because the way the gospel starts, uh, it starts with some beautiful poetry uh, about Jesus, and John just kind of barges in and, and interrupts the text. It goes like this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. Verse 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees, who had been sent, questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one who you do not know, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. So we're the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. 
Uh, it's an annual ritual, ritual in our household. Um, setting up the Christmas tree. We, it's a family event. We get it out of the box. Uh, we, we don't get a real tree every year. Back when we were a newly married, we just got a fake tree. And uh, each year, we get it out of the box and we go through fluffing the branches and, and putting it together. Uh, and then comes the annual uh, tangle of the lights. It looks like this. It doesn't matter how carefully we put them away the year before, it always seems to come out of the box like this. And uh, these are some of our lights that I don't know if they work or not anymore. Uh, I may or may not have become emotionally involved with this tangle of lights in my past, long past, last year. <clears throat> Do you ever have moments like that? You remember that scene from Christmas Vacation, if you've seen that movie? Clark Griswold, he's getting out the lights, and he pulls out something like this, and he says uh, something like, oh, I see we have a knot here. Here, you work on this, and hands it to his son. That's a tangled mess here at kind of reminds me of life on occasion. Um, we find ourselves in all sorts of snarly, tangled messes, uh, a confusion of relationships, um, and the annual battle of lights, trying to get them uh, on the tree. All I, all I want to do is to light up the tree and have that soft glow in, in our living room. But it seems like there's always a fuse blown, or a bulb that's out, or half a strand that doesn't work, and you wiggle it, and then it comes on, and, and you finally get them all working, and then you turn around, and, and they go out again. And, and it just seems to me like that's a really good picture of how we go through life, is that sometimes we figure out how to untangle all the mess, but we turn around, and it's all snarled and tangled up again. The things that, uh, things like lights that are they're designed to bring joy and beauty into our lives. Sometimes they bring out the worst in us and only are a little bit of a hassle. And if you think about relationships in the same kind of a way, it just seems like a metaphor that works. And there's two kinds of tangle that I'm thinking about. Sermon title is Light More, Tangle Less. And there's really two definitions of tangle they're both represented by characters within the story that we just read. Uh, the, the first kind of tangle that I'm thinking about is represented by the crowds, the, the masses of people that went out to hear Brother John preach. Uh, the first definition is, uh, of tangled is twisted together into a confused mass. The people who were in the crowds, who went out in droves to hear John preach, were all tangled up inside. These were people that had some issue, some spiritual issue. They had, they had lost their way. It had been a long time from the last time that, that they had heard the voice of God speak a prophetic voice into their society. 400 years. And they had lost their way. They had turned to their own way. They were following their own desires. They were caught in sin. They were all 
tangled up and snarled inside. They were living in a land that was occupied by the Romans. They were being oppressed and and heavily taxed. They, They were all tangled up inside. They were. Do you ever feel this kind of tangle in your life? the kind of tangle in your soul, you are wound up so tightly like this ball of lights here that, that maybe you're filled with uh, regret or maybe you're filled with guilt or shame or, or, or anger or bitterness, whatever it is, but there's something that's going on inside you that's just a snarl, a tangled mess that you're carrying around. You know, some people uh, dread this time of year. Some, for some, the Christmas season is a difficult time because it reminds them of things from their past that may not have been so beautiful and pretty this time of year. Maybe it was a struggle between uh, parents watching fighting in the home. Maybe it was a personal struggle with a sibling or a a relative. Um, John told the people that Jesus could help untangle them. The, the process of untangling, though, it takes a little bit of time. Uh, each year, uh, we untangle the lights and put them up. And you turn around and it, it seems like they're tangled up again. Um, turning to Jesus is easy to say. It, it's actually very easy to do, to repent and turn to Jesus. That's a very easy thing to do. The hard part is when we start putting that into how we live. The hard part about being a follower of Jesus is doing what he says. When it's difficult and when his way doesn't match how we would prefer, that's, that's when it becomes difficult. Turning to Jesus is actually quite easy, but following him is the challenge. Um, she started uh, coming to our church in another ministry we were in, and um, see her come in week to week and nod at the right places and pay attention. She finally uh, said, Pastor, do you have maybe some time we could visit sometime? Yeah, absolutely, sure. She came in, she said, you know, I, I thought I was a Christian. I really, I really want to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't know if I can do it. And we, we talked it through, and she said, I, I I want to turn and, and I want to look Jesus in the face and I want, I want to accept him. And I said, well, then, then do it. Said, but it's, it's following his way that's difficult. I know. It's hard. Well, can you help me try? I said, I can walk with you. I can pray with you. We can read scripture together if that, that helps. But at some point, the, there's self-discipline that comes along that, that when Jesus confronts you with something, that you have to respond and you have to make the choice and, and, and do it and continued to do it. See, she was all tangled up and snarled inside. She had some, some bad habits that she wanted to, to get rid of, and, and she did. She made some great strides and, and let go of some really rotten things in her life. She came to me uh, one time, and she said, you know, I, I think I'm doing okay, but there's, there's one thing that I, I just can't break. I said, well, tell me about it. She said that I smoke. And I said, so? I, I, I think Jesus wants me to stop. 
Okay. Stop. I can't. I've tried. I've had counseling. I've tried every way to do it. And I can go a couple days and I fall back. I said, do you think Jesus forgives you for that? Yeah. But I really want to do better. I said, you can get through it. Continually give it to him. See, when, when, when you begin the untangling process of letting go of things in your life that, that Jesus might ask you for, you may do well for a while, but there may be times where you turn around and the lights just get all twisted up again. You take them out of the box the next year and you find that oh, there's more fuses blown. There's more light bulbs that are out. I, I jiggle the wire just a little bit and, and half the strand is, is out. See, following Following Jesus is the hard part. Turning to him, that's an easy thing to do. Jesus, I want to follow you. Okay, follow me. Here's what it looks like. See, when you mend relationships sometimes, when you forgive somebody, there, there may be situations later on, years removed, that just bring you right back to the moment when that person offended you, the lights get all tangled up again. So the first definition is sometimes tangled is just being twisted together and confused, spiritually knotted inside. There's a second kind of tangled that it's kind of, uh, it's displayed for us by the religious leaders of the time. Uh, the second definition is Involved in a conflict or fight with someone or something. That kind of tangle. You ever felt like tangling with some other people? I have. Um, when I think about tangling, in the context of this season, uh, Advent, Christmas, I remember 1983. And uh, in 1983, there was a new toy that hit the shelves of the stores. It was called a Cabbage Patch doll. Some of you remember what they look like. Some of you remember the craze that ensued across our land as people literally fought and battled each other to get to the Cabbage Patch dolls. People were willing to uh, come to blows, and these are grandmas and grandpas, mind you, that were willing to come to blows to buy a little doll that, you know, they're not really that cute anyway. But at the time, it was the rage, and so we must get the Cabbage Patch doll, and at all costs, I can throw some elbows, but as long as I get what I'm coming to get, then everything's good. People were willing to tangle with one another and come into conflict with one another for a toy. That's kind of sick, right? It seems kind of silly. Uh, it's not always silly, though, when we talk about tangling in this way. Sometimes it's a little more serious. Sometimes it's a, a little closer to home. Uh, how many of you have somebody in your life that has the gift of immaculate perception? You know, they have a wonderful plan for your life, and they are not afraid to tell you about it at every opportunity. Or, or maybe you know somebody who's always looking to stir the pot. 
You know, they just want to inject a note of criticism or critique into what you're doing, and every time you come into conversation with them, they just want to take that big stir stick out and stir the pot. I wonder if I can tangle with this person. And it's really hard to step back and say, you know what, I'm not going to play that game. Some conversations with some people, they just seem to degenerate into arguments, and you come to this point where it may not be, it may not be a physical tangle, but there is certainly an emotional brawl that's happening. And sometimes it's a verbal brawl uh, as well. Uh, the religious leaders sent priests and Levites and Pharisees out to question John. They wanted to tangle with this guy. They, they wanted to go out and interrogate John. They were concerned about what he was doing. He was out there and he was preaching and people were going out to them, which meant that their churches were kind of empty and they were like, what's going on here? Who is this guy out in the desert that's preaching that all the people are, are going to hear? See, they thought that they owned the franchise on the religion in the country. So we better send out our district manager to go check on this guy to make sure that he's, that he's doing it just right. See, they had... They had an opinion about how religion should happen, about the way that you were to present religion and to practice religion, and if you were outside of their boundary, then it was wrong. And so they had to go send some people out to question this guy to make sure that, hey, we, we're going to ask some questions because we want to see where you're at. And we want to see if you pass the muster test on practicing religion in our country. Um, they were a bit skeptical. And these, mind you, they're not bad people. These were guardians of the faith. They, were, they took it upon themselves to, to make sure that God was worshipped in the proper ways, but sometimes they just got a little bit uh, overzealous, a little bit closed-minded. And um, I think that speaks a word for us today, too. Because, you know, it's really easy to point at the Pharisees and the Levites and the priests who ask all of these difficult questions, and it's, it's easy to kind of look at them and say, wow, that's, that's just kind of off that they would go after this guy like this. But sometimes, if you've followed Christ for a long time, it's, uh, it's really easy to put up barriers on how we receive the word from the Lord. Sometimes it's easier to keep the word of the Lord out of our lives than it is to let it in and penetrate us, especially when it's presented to us in a way that may be different than what we prefer or what we have grown accustomed to over time. If it looks different, then it's got to be wrong. And, and so therefore, we don't allow God's Word to penetrate our lives because it's not coming at us how we want it to, how we've been trained to think and to hear. See, John saw these folks coming. He, he, he knew that they were going to have questions he knew that they were just a little bit disgruntled at what was going on. And so even before they asked the question, he put it out there. He said, I'm not the Messiah. Look at verse 20 that we just read. He said, I am not the Messiah. Then the questions kicked in. Well, who are you? Are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. Who are you? The prophet? No, I'm not the prophet. Who are you? We need an answer. 
We were sent out here, and we have to go back with an answer. Speak for yourself. Who are you? And John, he doesn't even use his own words. He goes back into the pages of his scripture, and he borrows some words from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 40. He says, I'm, I'm just the voice of the one calling in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. That was, that was his answer. Apparently, it wasn't good enough because they demanded more information. Uh, well, you're baptizing. You're not authorized to perform baptisms, Jesus. You don't have the, uh, John, you don't have the proper credentials yet. So how, how is it that you are baptizing people? John doesn't answer the question. Did you notice that? I, I love this about Brother John. He doesn't, he doesn't answer the question on why he's baptizing. He, he just says, I baptize with water. Well, we can see that, John. Why are you doing it? He doesn't give him an answer to that question. He says, I baptize with water. And then, and then he's pointing. He said, there's somebody among you right now, right now, alive already, in our midst, who, who, who is, I'm not even worthy to bend down and to untie his sandal. That was John's answer to, why are you baptizing? Well, I baptize with water. But there's one among us. I can't even untie his sandal. Uh, John doesn't tangle with these folks. It seems to me they're coming out to, to kind of pick up a little bit of a fight, to agitate John a little bit, maybe get him off his game, and, and maybe, uh, maybe in, they would question him enough and they would deter him from continuing in the ministry that, that he was called to there. But no, that's, John, he just says, he patiently answers their question. He's self-disciplined enough not to tangle with them. And he just gives these patient replies. And he points to Jesus. John's role was to point to the light. John's role was to reflect the light. His role was to light more. So we get a little different picture of this man, John. If you noticed in, in our story that we read today, uh, John only refers to, to John as John. He doesn't give us any description of this man. So we, we know John the Baptist. And if we you know, are at all familiar with our Bibles, the image that we have of John the Baptist is really painted by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, the, these gospel writers, they fill in some detail. And so we, we learn about John from, from these other gospels that uh, he was a wilderness preacher. He preached in this desolate place that was across the Jordan River. It was a distance from any of the major cities, 20 miles or more for most people to come out and to hear Brother John. He was out in this uh, desert area. Uh, Brother John, he had uh, what you would call a unique wardrobe. He wore camel's hair and a leather belt. Uh, he also had an interesting paleo diet. He... Uh, he lived on uh, locusts and wild honey. Hmm, a preacher with locust breath, camel hair. He's out in the desert. Uh, he lived as a Nazarite, which means uh, he didn't drink and uh, he practiced no-shave November his entire life. Didn't, didn't shave, he didn't have uh, a haircut ever. This is an odd 
kind of a confusing sort of gentleman that we come across here in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And we read about him, and he's a little brisk in his message. Uh, He's not one that seems like would be really approachable. He's probably not on our invitation list for our Christmas party because he may scare all of the other guests away. This is the picture that we get in, in the other Gospels, but John doesn't give us any of this. The one thing that I do note in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them, all of them agree that you have to visit this odd, eccentric, confusing character in the desert before you get to Jesus. Uh, If you're traveling to Bethlehem this year to see the baby Jesus in the manger, you're going to have to travel through the desert. You're going to have to confront uh, this preacher that's out in the wilderness. John lives out there in the wilderness. If you want to go to Bethlehem, you're going to have to go see him bypassing John and hearing him preach. See, John in the Gospels is presented as the one who helps us prepare our hearts. He's the one who helps us confront things in our life that maybe we need to get rid of so that we actually have room in our hearts for the arrival of the baby Jesus, the arrival of the Messiah, the the arrival of the Savior in our life. If we're going to see Jesus, we've got to walk through the desert and hear this guy preach. And the crowds, they flocked to hear him preach. This odd, eccentric guy out in the desert, they went out to him. And it was an investment of time for them. This was a huge sacrifice for them to leave what they were doing and walk, some, some of them 20 miles or more, to go out and, and hear this guy in the wilderness. They, they had to give up things. They had to make sacrifices to go out and hear a guy who was going to call them out of their comfort zones and tell them to repent. Preached. He did. He was out there, stumped for a pulpit. He's got the cathedral of the open sky, and he preached away. He didn't have some, you know, 15 or 20-minute feel-good message. He gave it to them straight, and sometimes it made them squirm in their seat and it made them a little bit uncomfortable, but they went out to him in the masses, what we're told in the gospel writers. He, he challenged them. He spoke with a frankness, calling them to repentance. Turn away from your wrong ways. Give up the sin that's entangling you and snarling you. He challenged their sincerity of their faith commitment. He called them to a level of spiritual maturity that would be attractive to other people. See, The people who stayed to listen to Brother John were open to a different way of life. They were sick and tired of the life that they were living, and and they were willing to hear John call them to a better way, and and they made that room in their hearts and and opened themselves up because they needed help finding another way. They were all tangled up inside as they went out. They were searching for peace. They They were searching for freedom. They needed Messiah to come and to rescue them. And John was preaching about him, and he pointed to Jesus, and he's saying, he is here. It's a true message that John was preaching, that you can be forgiven, that you can experience new life in Jesus Christ. Some, some people just need to be reminded 
that that message of forgiveness is actually true. A friend of mine, Mike, he, he came up to me and, and he said, uh, is it true? I said, I don't know what, I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. This whole forgiveness thing that we talk about and in the context of our church, he's like, I'm, I'm beginning to doubt. I, I doubt whether the message that, that we present uh, as a church is actually true. I'm, I'm really struggling that. Is, is it true? Yeah, it's true, Mike. I, I fully believe that it's true. He unpacked his situation a little bit, and I said, you know what? I, I think Jesus forgives you for that. I, be, I believe that it's true. I believe that you can turn to him and he will help you and he will give you the experience of, of new life. It was wintertime and, and it had snowed you know, a week or so ago and you looked outside and, and in places where it snows, I'm gonna have to, you're going to have to go out on a limb and trust me on this one, but um, when it snows and it gets packed down and they throw the dirt out on it to help your traction, it gets, it's, it gets muddy, it gets dirty. It's not real pretty on the sides of the roads, and when the plows go through, then you know you get these uh, muddy, packed snow banks. But when it snows again, when you wake up and you realize that it had snowed overnight, and you look out and everything is new and white and crystal clear and bright and clean, I said, Mike, when when you turn to Jesus and when you ask Him for forgiveness, all that mud and muck and stuff that's tangling you up inside. It's like new fallen snow has covered over that and it's gone. It's true, Mike. He looked at me like he had heard that for the first time, like it was new information that just washed over him. John identifies the role that we have in proclaiming that message. John is, is like our example that that. Every Christian, every person who makes a faith commitment to Jesus is called by God to be a witness to Jesus. See, God has commissioned each and every one of us to point other people to Christ. When, when, when our lives are about the tangle, either kind, when we're all tangled up inside spiritually or emotionally or, or relationally, or if we just find that it's hard for us to get along with other people, and, and especially certain people, that it always just degenerates into an argument and a, and a tussle. Either one of those, they're all inwardly focused, if you think about it. When, when our lives are focused on the tangle, they're all inwardly focused. They, they focus, it's focused on, on our needs, our feelings, uh, but to bear witness to Jesus causes us to turn our focus away from ourselves and out to other people. So John didn't have a, he didn't have an ego need. He didn't have the need to be the center of attention. He didn't have this uh, self-inflated sense of self and his own worth. Um, he just pointed to other people. It doesn't, it's not about me. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the prophet. I'm not Elijah. I'm just a voice. I'm just a voice. Calling out, trying to make straight paths for the way of the Lord. There's a certain amount of humility involved in that. It's not about us. 
It's a message that we proclaim about Jesus. It's what I am not, and it's about what Jesus is. See, it is necessary for us to witness. It's our job description as followers of Jesus. Our primary work involves bearing witness to our Savior, to our Messiah. God saves us, yes, but His salvation never ends with us. His salvation is always for another. He saves us, yes, but it doesn't stop with us. We pass it along to our children and to our coworkers and to our friends. It's, it's a pass-through that, that we are saved, yes, and then we are caught up into God's magnificent plan to spread this message throughout the world, and He calls us in to be witnesses, to light more. See, the Word and the life and the light of Jesus, they're, they're going to spread throughout the world. We're, we're told that in Scripture. And it will be done by God, but it will be done through people, through humans. If you look at the very first verse that we read in, in verse 6, there was a man sent from God. There was a human sent from God, like you, like me, a, a person and God, God sends us out. We recall the words of Jesus over in uh, Matthew 9, uh, verse 38. He says, uh, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. He's praying for, for us. He tells us to pray that there would be people who would rise up and be bold enough to be witnesses for him out in the harvest. And over there in John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus is, is praying for his disciples, and, and he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you out. Kind of gets me excited. It, it energizes me a little bit that, that, that God is working in the world, and we get to be a part of it. We are his witnesses, taking his message of salvation, which is good news, out into the world. We get to proclaim to people, it's true. Jesus will forgive you. I hope that gets you excited. I hope that makes, that makes you want to rise up and look Jesus square in the eye and, and, and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Send me. I want to go. It's not about us. It, it, it's all about Jesus. Advent and, Advent and Christmas that we're celebrating this time of year, they're, they're not about our hopes and our dreams. It's not about us getting presents. It's not about how much food is going to be on the spread at Christmas meal and, and all of the holiday parties. It, it's a time of more Jesus and, and, and less of, of us. More of Jesus and less of us. In fact, John the Baptist, as we know him, he proclaims this message in, in just a couple chapters from where we are, John 3, verse 30. He says, he must become greater and I must become less. The psalmist proclaimed it way back in the Old Testament. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. It's good to remember that we're not the Messiah Jesus is. He saves, not us. We are not the light. Jesus is the light, but we are the reflection of that light to those around us. 
You see, when we celebrate our Christmas Eve Eve service in a little over a week, near, near the end of the service, there's a really special moment. All the lights go down except the flicker of the candles on the Advent wreath, and we start singing Silent Night. And I'll take a candle, and I'll light that candle and the Christ candle, and, and I'll move up and down the aisles, and I'll light a candle in, in each row. And little by little, the, the light of five candles becomes 10, 15, 20, 30, 100, 200. And pretty soon, that, that glow of the flame ha- has just penetrated the sanctuary. It's filled it with light, one, one at a time. It's a beautiful scene. It's moving when you think about it. It doesn't happen all at once like a huge flash of lightning that just illuminates the sky all at one time. No, it's, it's one flicker of flame at a time that we pass to one another up and down the rows. And that's how the word of the Lord will come to the world. That's how the world will come to know the light of Jesus, through one flicker of flame at a time, through one conversation, through one act of kindness, through one uh, expression of God's love at a time. See, we need to light more. It's a necessary part of who we are as Christians. Paul, the apostle, writing to the church in Corinth, he he says, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. See, God implants his love in us, and that love radiates out from us, and, and we become glowing coals for him, and we bring that light to one person at a time. God sends us out into the world with the vocation, the work of of being a witness. I know it's hard. It's especially hard when when you think about, well, that's such an important and powerful message. I don't know if I know enough. I don't don't know if I have the right words to adequately adequately express what, what I want to say. And sometimes we're so afraid of messing it up that we don't say anything at all and we don't try What I want to tell you is God will speak through you. People will see his love glowing from inside you. Don't be afraid to say something. Don't be afraid of of offending somebody. When Jesus sends us out into the harvest, he doesn't send us out with the responsibility of, of, of results. He takes the responsibility of the results. All Jesus wants us to do is to be the light to reflect it, to talk to people, to express his love to them and forgiveness in words. He'll be the one responsible. It was in our passage in in verse 7. If you look back at verse 7, it said, He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. That's John testifying about the light so that through him, him not John, him is in Jesus, so that all will believe through Jesus. See, John's responsibility was to make the path straight to help us get stuff ordered in our lives properly, to help us make room for the Christ child, the the Messiah who will will save us, to proclaim the forgiveness, that it's, it's a true message, this one of forgiveness. 
And he can do that, and he doesn't have to worry about the results because it's Jesus who takes that responsibility. All we are tasked with doing, all, the only burden we have is the responsibility to speak up, to speak the word, to reflect the light of Jesus, to let it glow from within us. In Advent, we pay attention to the light of Christ illuminating the dark spaces and places in our world. And there's plenty of them these days. There's lots of dark things. You just watch the news, Ferguson and New York and around the globe with the the political refugees, the refugees of war in, in Syria and in Iraq. There's people hurting all over the place. There are some dark places. And it's Jesus, the light of Jesus, who can penetrate that darkness anywhere. There is no darkness that the light of Jesus cannot penetrate. And so that speaks a word to us that there's no place at which we shouldn't go trying to spread this light. The message this morning is pretty simple. It's light more. Be a witness and tangle less. Reflect Jesus and let him free you from all the bondage of the tangle, which will allow you to live freely as a light for him. So we light more and we tangle less. The people of God said, amen.